take two middle-aged men who happen to be cousins and share a common codependency on movies, put them in a room, and tell them to talk about anything film-related. The result? An existential exposition of cinematic synergy we call The Finleys on Film. Well, pants are always a problem. Take, come on, let's take them off. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, uh, are we on? Shit. I uh, put your pants back on, Tommy. Oh, man. It was, um, I, I dare say I'm probably going to repeat some part of the story in a future obvious episode, but um, I, um, when I was about 11 um, and I lived in the Bay Area, I decided that there were two things that were going to make me cool. You know, I, I came from <laughs> Fresno and I went to the Bay Area and to live for a year with my mom. And it turns out my parents were separated. I was too stupid to realize it. But we lived in, in Daly City out of San Francisco. And I was really out of my element coming from, from the suburbs of, of Fresno to the suburbs of San Francisco. And... Um, you know, desperate to sort of like fit in with a new group. People were telling me, this is your chance. I must have clearly been a loser already because people, older people were telling me, this is your chance to reset things. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I'm going to come in guns blazing and be cool at this new sort of urban type school. Mm-hmm. And so I made two moves, being a, a classic movie buff, which is anyone's entrance in the coolum in sixth grade. I, um, I decided I would get um, the dock worker's jacket that Terry Malloy wore, Marlon Brando, and on the waterfront. So I got a checkered dock worker's jacket. <laughs> and then, of course... Oh, my um, God. Movie nerddom doomed you, man. <laughs> that year, I um, had to get glasses anyway. So I picked mm. out frames um, that were like Michael Caine's frames in like 1980, like in okay. that era of like gigantic glass framedom. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and, you know, I'll leave it up to the listeners to figure out exactly how cool <laughs> I became. <laughs> Just cool <laughs> enough to one day have a podcast about old movies. Well, it's, you know, what's strange is that you know, if you tell that story, you know, in your 40s to somebody, they actually will think you're cool. Right. right. But you have to suffer through something. Being the kid who's not at all no. cool. No. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Yeah. And you met my friend, as I recall, and I never, you know, for some reason, for all my nerdy activities, this, this was never one of them, but I think it was for you and your brother. You and your brother were big uh, Dungeons and Dragons fans. Oh, yeah. As I recall. Yeah. Do you Everyone's want to talk got, about that a bit? Yeah, we can talk about Dungeons and Dragons, sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, everybody's got the, my theory, I have just nerd them in general. My theory is everyone's just got a nerd too far, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of nerd characteristics out there, and there's just that one thing you, you can't do for whatever reason. Wait, so wait, wait, me, wait, back up, back up. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I just want to make sure. So I for you, Dungeons this. and Dragons is that nerd too far? It's something that okay. just didn't make any sense to you. Okay, yep. Right for me, like Dungeons and Dragons made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I liked it. I liked it. But then LARPing would never have made sense. What is, is LARPing? LARPing is basically it's it's like Dungeons and Dragons. It's role playing mm-hmm. except you go out into a leafy glade and dress like a fucking elf. So you just take your Dungeons and Dragons out from your mom's basement into the the, the leafy into the world. outside world, right? Like, Which sounds almost healthier, but it actually isn't. Renaissance mentality, Renaissance fair mentality. Well, I think those people uh, those people definitely are they're, they're adjacent to each other. Okay, like they shop at the same Gap. Put yeah, it that way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the big Bodies is however you say that. So how, how into it were you? I mean, how how often um, would you I play? Was in, uh, I, was, I did a lot of that kind of thing. A lot of my social circles in high school definitely were around things like um, around uh, what do you call it? Uh, Role playing games, mm-hmm. not necessarily Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons actually was some of the, that was the gateway that Joe, that Chuck, uh, my brother, turned me on to, and uh-huh. we basically learned. And uh, he, I basically counted on him to be right about that, and he didn't read the fucking rules. And so we were make, playing a game. When we tried to join another game, it was just it was just chaos. But I, I, I honestly, because we had neither of 
listeners had any idea what the fuck we were doing. I'm not trying to be like a good interviewer here. Like, tell people more about that. I, I really don't know. I really don't know much about Dungeons and Dragons, but I, I can sort of fake it. This other stuff you're talking about, like, well, give me an example. Like, what's what are those things like? Like what? Like what do you mean? Well, you're like? talking about other role playing games, but it's like, like what were they? Or were they all like oh, there's sort of all medieval kinds. There's, based? There's, or? No, no. I mean, the medieval based. That's the first one. That's Dungeons and Dragons. That's the OG of role playing oh, games. Oh yeah. It's the Grope. Uh-huh. It's the G R O P. Anyways, um, that's that's the old G. Now, but then there's other ones that came along. There's some that are cyberpunk based. I mean, it could be any any genre base they can Cyberpunk be. Cyberpunk base, so the superhero based ones. But but Dungeons and my Dragons, favorite was one of those. Okay, so but I remember Dungeons and Dragons. Like the concept was sort of like it had rules, but also the rules were only bound by your kind of narrative imagination, right? Yeah, that's correct. And so like now now this is happening. The leader would say, and then everyone would have like a certain sort of gauge it'd have to follow. Well, I only have these amount of like strength points right, or something. I can, I can do this. Deal with I, your I, shit. I will do this thing, and then then the yep. dungeon master has to go look at what you've got there for points and figure out your capability and you have to roll a dice. There's so, always a certain amount of... So what I'm getting at is if you're talking about cyberpunk game, for instance, does that mean that um, it's the same type of thing? You have established sort of qualities about a character yeah. you're playing mm-hmm. yeah. and then it's just instead of being sort of the leafy, hobbity world, it's just a, like a urban... Dark, d- dark okay. urban hell. Blade yeah. Runner type world or exactly, something like that. Exactly, yeah. Okay, so they're all... They're just sort of different sides of the same coin. Basically, yeah. It's the exact same thing just in different settings, right? And the superhero one, that was probably my favorite. I did that a lot, but so I think what we're trying to say is that we're kind of doing all the listeners a service here because we're we're tired of having to um, talk about people who are so much like us, and yet we're willing to do it again today as we talk about Steve McQueen. All right, because in a way, yeah, man, he we would have been er- a hell of a dungeon master. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I was talking about there. We're early, you know, Steve McQueen types in a oh, way. Oh yeah, okay. right. Oh okay, I'll go yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, with the cool kids and also huge lost. admirers of Steve McQueen back in the day for that quality. I mean, it's when the, no that's the quality of Steve McQueen. No one our age knew who he was. Absolutely, could give a shit less. Absolutely. Yeah, is he, is he on Van Halen? No, he's fucking <laughs> not. <laughs> he's an interesting character. I mean, he's got a lot of. Um, I would say like James Dean qualities in the in the following way. I mean that more than the obvious sort of like cool sort of agonized guy. You know, the, he he grew up in Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, he was abandoned by his father, who was like a stunt pilot, among the many other things that he really? did. So he's got that sort of that. like okay. Steve McQueeny gene, you know, uh-huh. the jump on the fence and the Great Escape with a motorcycle. Oh sure. Um, and and the the father leaves town and the mother raises him but not really she's 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 a young sort of party animal mm-hmm. she's kind of a hoe she's an, an okay. Indiana nineteen twenties hoe all right nice Scooby Doo Scooby Doo I don't know what that was about I forgot he said so anyway a twenty two Scooby so so um, oh, right you know he's he's sort of raised by his grandparents and he he grows up um, largely in this boys home mm-hmm. in Indiana um, and it's like a trade school and like a kind of a place for like you know, semi-delinquent home. Well, that's it. You never yeah. separated like the abandoned people mm-hmm. from the delinquents. They're all just sort of in there. So he <laughs> grows up in a reformatory school, and so that's classic right. Steve McQueen, right? So, so um, well, you would almost expect that of him, though. That's the thing. It's got because he's got to he's got to come from a place that teaches him how to be a rebel and at this, you know, yeah. like a complete nonconformist. Yeah, well, and also give him the juice to do so. So, but but like like um, uh, James Dean, the juice to do so, the juice to do so. What is this <laughs> with the Fence and the jumping, oh, boy, chick. Jump, so, jump. so, um, you know, classically, you know, early on, he he wants to, he decides he's either going to be a carpenter or an actor, and he decides to move to New York and be an actor. And he he applies for, and he's one of only two people, and I think it's 1954. 
who gets accepted to the actor's studio. And the actor's studio had really? like, this is like, you know, Brando's territory, yeah, yeah, method yeah. acting. And the other guy was, and all of a sudden, I'm forgetting his name, but he's in North by Northwest. He's in um, Crimes and Misdemeanors. Mason? Uh, James Mason? Not James Mason. Oh, shit. Wait, no. Um, uh, oh, what's fuck. his name? <laughs> we'll remember in a oh, minute. But no. he's great. Ed Wood. Yeah, he's he's a fantastic actor, and, and as soon as you remember, you'll be clued uh, in. But basically, it's not surprising that he would be. If you're in not there. screaming at whatever you're listening to, <laughs> sorry, device, the name of the anything. actual person. We're nerds, um, and so so he's got this early sort of, and but but that's the the immediate I would say like duality, if you will, of Steve McQueen because it's obvious that he's like good looking stud, motorcycle rider, adventurer, but he always wanted to be very serious. At the same time, right? And, and you know, by the time, like, if you, if you look at some of his later films, like 1976, like third to last film, he does um, Heinrich Ibsen's um, Enemy of the People. Like, he's, he really wanted to be taken seriously as an intellect. Mm-hmm. And I think Marilyn Monroe had a bit of this, but Steve McQueen more. And yet his, <laughs> oh, yeah, his, definitely, yeah. his bread and butter was that he was cool. He was right. the king of cool. And unlike, you know, Dean Martin, who's totally just sort of caved into like, you know, va, 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 voom, I'm, I'm Mr. Cool. <laughs> right. And he really kind of was that way in life. Steve McQueen sort of struggled with it. And I think the idea is, and, and stay, uh, I'm going to put a pin in that because Tom has the actor. Martin Landau. Martin Landau, of course. Good God. Um, that he was a contemporary of Martin Landau or that he's interested in doing an, an Ibsen play. Right. Or that, um, you know, he has all these interests. And so what... Well, it's really funny about him because everyone's all you'd see him like try to break out in the same yeah. way that Marilyn Monroe did. Like, sure, I think Misfits. the Reavers is definitely intent to do that. For instance, it was a bad Not, choice it because was, it's, I don't think it's a very good story. Even the Faulkner story, no, and I don't no. think it's a terrible adaptation of it. No, yeah, and he's and he and he's playing. Okay, so he's kind of a wacky, you know, he's a wacky character. Yeah, and and that's a, that is a stretch for him, in, yeah. you know, in his coolness. But yeah, but but that's just an example of one of his things. Well, so so one of the things is like I want to talk about how we decided to structure this particular conversation, this episode, as unstructured as it may be. And that's that there's the obvious Steve McQueen stuff that aren't, they're not going to be in this episode, even though they seem like the more obvious ones. It, it's actually because we're saving them for other episodes for particular reasons. Yeah, so correct. there is no Magnificent Seven in here. Right. And we did do an episode on The Great Escape before, so that was a sort of one offer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no Bullet in here. Right. We're not going to talk about Bullet for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, I think we're, we're talking about three, at least two, possibly three films that yeah. actually sort of explore Steve McQueen trying to be these two people, trying to be on the one hand a sort of leading man who's cool and handsome and has a woman, but also on the other hand someone who's like a thoughtful character. Yeah, right. If not an intellectual, at least you know the story is probing intellectual historical areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you don't... Can and you can just, see the character having an intellectual life inside of that character, yeah, and that's what he wanted. And maybe not with the first one, but even if it's not happening there, there's an emotional depth being sort yeah. of plumbed that mm-hmm. that isn't you know as much as I love Magnificent Seven and McQueen and and uh, Bullet those aren't the, the films I think of like the emotional depths are being plumbed here at all oh, yeah, they're no. just good for different yeah. reasons mm-hmm. and so we start with 1966's The Sand Pebbles Sand Pebbles yes and do you want to you want to go over the the basic historical premise here well the basic historical premise of the Sand Pebbles is uh, the Sand Pebbles is based on the San Pablo a ship uh, that was part of the what do you call it the the the, the river system the American river system. The Yangtze River system, yeah. American Navy contingent in China. In the 20s, like 1925, yeah, 19, 1910s to 1920s in that area right there. Yeah. So uh, where we basically, you know, we, we the Western powers had sort of, you know, kind of basically taken over China in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, this was an American ship, uh, you know, with American, you know, with American uh, sailors on it. Uh, this is uh, 
um, what's his name? Steve McQueen plays a sailor on the ship mm-hmm. uh, who comes aboard and he's an engineer and all he really wants to do is he, he's really interesting. He's interested in the character and that all he really wants to do is make his engine work. That's what he does and that's his. He that's has his a single job. He's I think they call him a fireman, right, in the Navy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's an engine. It's a down below and yeah. this sort of horribly claustrophobic engine, space. They keep the engines running and moving. Keep and it's an running. old ship, so it's like yeah. he's going to have every ship he signs on to, and he's he would sort of known that he's a bit of a drifter from ship to ship. He's mm-hmm. he's got some even though he loves his navy life, it's the only life yeah, for him. Right. He's sort of a problem. He doesn't he's sort not of a go raw, along. Raw navy guy and he doesn't make friends. He's not he's a bro. He's not, he's not yeah, he's not your standard navy guy. He apparently has a has a certain amount of literacy and a certain amount of um toward a depth of character that that he doesn't encounter in the navy very often. Yeah, for sure. And I have to say, I haven't been in the Navy. I get it. <laughs> like I was, the, the, I watched this movie in the Navy, and I got it. Yeah, well, that's interesting because you were in the Navy sixty years after the sending of this film, and so I'm mm-hmm. curious how. I mean, obviously, how close is it? It's a dumb question, but how close is it? Oh, pretty good. I mean, it's really good, actually. I mean, well, first off, like again, the thing about like when you're on a ship, basically, you're in you're in a cross section of American life. Everyone, people are mm-hmm. you feel all everybody in in. Regular life out out of out of the military that you meet that is stupid or yeah. smart or this or that. That's the same amount of and proportions inside of the navy. Just the same amount of foolishness uh, and the same amount of dirt bags as well. And so there are a lot there are a lot of dirt bags and there's a predominance of that just because there's a uh, I don't kind of like, like a painful I don't want to say blue collar but. Um, Lower middle class. There's a lot of lower middle class going on. Well, so, so you know, he'd done uh, Baby If the Rain Must Fall with Lee Remick in 64, 65. 65, mm-hmm. The Cincinnati Kid, the Norman Jewison, um, which is an interesting film. But those two seem to be more like tries and possible misses at this duality that he's trying to sort of break into. Yeah. And, and he, he gets it right this third time with 66 as a sand pebbles. I think he's, you know what he wants to be? He wants to be Paul Newman. <laughs> he yeah, maybe. Take... He had a big sort of rivalry with Paul Newman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we can talk about a bit later. But, but, but um, yeah, so so and, and and one of the things that makes this work for him is is he's doing the same thing he's doing in those two films I just mentioned in terms of trying to be sort of a, a character with more depth. It, it's that the story and the other characters have more depth than this one, so it sort of brings mm-hmm. about attention that's interesting. So so not only are the Americans there on the San Pablo. Um, sort of out of their territory, but sort of doing their thing, right? In, in an alien, in an alien environment, but still being aggressively American, and and it, it, all the things that come with that. So, so on the one hand, they work very closely with some of the Chinese, and they mm-hmm. have very certain, like certain relationships. And there are Chinese, you know, citizens aboard the ship, sort of working under the table for them, and they mm-hmm. just sort of let it all slide. On the other hand, there's a great scene early on where. Um, they just do their daily drills where where the Chinese sort of come out in boats to harass and harangue the San Pablo Pablo as this outside sort of colonizing force, the ship. Uh-huh. They boo, they throw things, and then the ship does its thing, which is to turn the fire hoses on them. And it's just like, this, okay, now to breakfast. It's our daily sort of practice here. <laughs> right, right, and right. And so there's, there's all that sort of conflict about the, the local Chinese who have accepted the fate of the West in there and those mm-hmm. who are rightfully, I would say, personally rejecting it. Right. Um, and 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 this and the fact that Steve McQueen doesn't want any part of the politics actually makes him more interesting because yes. he's going to be forced into the consequences right. of the politics because you you can't you ultimately the, the politics are so pervasive yeah. that his character who wants to avoid it you, there's simply no avoiding of it. 
And then it's going to come up regardless. You have this interesting science story, and that's um, of a missionary and his mm-hmm. niece who are in you know the area. They want to go up the Yangtze to establish um, you know a church or a convent or, or whatever a missionary post. Um, and there, you know, he the, the the missionary is is really naive about the Chinese people for someone who's been there so long, right? And Candice Bergman, Candace Bergman, and this is, by the way, a young Candace Bergman before she became kind of unbearable. I find her as anything past like 1975 <laughs> as just an unbearable person to sort of listen to. Or, uh-huh. um, and I'm sorry, um, Bergman, if you're listening. Um, but um, she's, you know, as wooden as her father's <laughs> other son. But, but she's actually great in this. And it's because there's a, she really exemplifies the naivete. Yeah. Right. And she wants answers early on from a queen. Like who's right. Is my uncle right. Or, you know, and he's like, I don't know. I just fix the engine. That's all I do. That's exactly. what I do. And it's a three hour film. And what, and, and you have um, Richard Attenborough, of course, famously mm-hmm. from uh, um, the great escape. Yeah. Um, playing one of his contemporaries. You have Simon Oakland, um, who is an, is not only has, has he been in, I want to live with Susan Hayward. He's also in Bullet as the the, the police chief. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's right. Who's yeah. the who's the main bro dude? Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah. all about sort he's of bradacious as fuck. So there's all these sort of conflicts about like you know two cultures, the local politics. Um, when do you keep your head down, and mm-hmm. what's going to force Steve McQueen to be emotionally attached to something outside of keeping the engine going? And what happens is he gets emotionally attached to him to a native, to a Chinese guy. It's the first thing that happens. Yes, it's pretty much this guy because he's he's teaching this guy. He's got this guy who doesn't understand engines. He thinks it's, who, who who thinks it's magic. Yeah. And Steve McQueen knows it's not magic, and he wants to get that across. So he yeah. gets excited in the act of teaching. Yeah. So he teaches, and then he becomes involved with this guy. Not you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They, no. come, they become friends and um and then that becomes and we write then a lot um and then and then that um the, the main brotard guy we're talking about here yeah. resents that closeness that they had because by definition yeah. you're supposed to be an american you're supposed to be above the chinese something's I, i'm enjoying your words but something's sort of tapping i don't know if it's this this chord or something but no just... it was that Oh yeah, it was, was it my me? it was my it was my my no oh. my railing hands. Yeah. <laughs> you were doing a lot of hand gestures. Yeah, sorry well. to interrupt your flow. Nah. So so that's yeah obviously so that there's that but but you know the there's an increasing feeling from from the opposition the the native opposition that these these Chinese in the, on the ship are being used, which they mm-hmm. are, of course. Of course, being exploited, And that, that sort of represents the larger exploitation, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a conflict. Also, Richard Attenborough, um, you know, there's a local sort of bar whorehouse, and mm-hmm. there's um, a young Chinese woman who's sort of presented as, like, you know, high-priced virgin for sale, and Richard Attenborough kind of falls in love with her because she is a lovely person. Right. But she's still obligated to, to the, the bar owner who's paid her parents off. And right. so she's still for sale. And Richard Attenborough wants to be her boyfriend and pay her not to work, not even to sleep with him. And Simon Oakland wants to get all up in the Chinese all up in them match. Guts. That's right. So, of course, there's that conflict. Event. And it's about, you know, obviously it's about sexual assault and women mm-hmm. and sort of like the, the colonizing culture. And this isn't us social justice worrying it up. I mean, that's part of the film. Yeah, it's the exploration is, yeah. of the film. That's what's sure. happening there, yeah. 
So there's that. And then, of course, there's it's also what's the gonna time ha- period of what's going on. Absolutely. Too. And what's going to happen to the missionaries right. uh, up, up the river eventually? Because mm-hmm. they have to sort of like, there's going to be a consequence to the Navy being there the, and to the missionaries being there. So backlash, all this is the, the anti-white backlash that was, gonna, that was going down at yeah. that time. Yeah. The deserved anti-white yeah, backlash, yeah, boy, as it yeah. often is. So, yeah, and, and missionary-specific yeah. white, anti-white. Fuck. No, no question about it. So, so all this is happening. And I dare say this happens with, I think, good music sometimes and good literature and good films and it's this it is necessarily boring sometimes it's a movie that's three hours long it's sometimes boring but it's almost like part of the tension is that it is kind of boring in that it's trying to do so many things and it's totally pays off yeah you know it's a weird thing to say this film's boring and it pays off that it's boring sometimes it does have no i know it's impossible to say it's impossible to avoid the fact that it sort of drags ass a little bit a little bit points and but but i'm with you and i think it no it's not cutting corners yeah yeah, it's the that's sort of the necessary consequence of of telling the story that they're trying to tell sometimes it's going to drag ass a little bit and 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 this movie has that going on yeah. So, um, anything else to say about? It? I mean, it's got that cinema. You know, it's three hours long. It has a sort the of beautiful like, cinematography going on. Beautiful really cinematography. Beautiful cinema. Great music. Yeah. Um, a lot of it on location. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those films that from the '60s where there's an intermission. Yeah, um, yeah. In the middle, it's three goddamn hours. Richard Crenna is, you know, he's very Richard Crenna y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's exactly what he is every time he's in a movie, which is just sort of like the slightly unlikable expert off to the side. Right. Whether it's Rambo or this movie, you know, uh-huh. who just gives you a few factoids about <laughs> characters that need to be known. Right. Um, I don't know. Look. I love this movie. I love it too. I don't. I'm sure that there are are people in the know who would um, find some historical inaccuracies about it. Sure. But I found it historically informing and informed, I guess. And and I found um, if he was search, if McQueen was searching for that moment, he found it here. Sure. And um, I would go, yeah, I would go even better. I would say like this is just this is an addition to a long line of really great movies this guy has done. Mm-hmm. Like you look at his thing. I, I look at Steve McQueen and I look for like the real misses. There, was, oh, there, there were some misses. Some hell is for heroes. That's why I say hell is for zeros. <laughs> was the uh, was the hunter, <sighs> the last movie? I didn't even like Tom Tom uh, Horn. Yeah. So I mean, there are a couple of them, but by and large, oh, Junior I, I Bonner have to say, I didn't like. You don't like Junior Bonner? I think there's about a third of his movies suck ass. Wow. Okay. I, mean, I, I think it's a little less than that, but I think he is. I think his average is pretty good for a Hollywood star. Towering Inferno. Yeah, oh, come on. O.J. Simpson's finest, second finest. 1974 All Star cast, and it was um, it was Paul Newman and he. And at that point, um, they were both like the highest paid actors in uh-huh. 1974, and so there was some dispute as to who would get top billing, and they had to put them side by side with um, uh, Paul Newman's on the left, which would be like side by side, but first. The first. But Steve McQueen's on the right, but higher. And it was like this ongoing <laughs> thing about how, and Steve McQueen finally insisted he get like uh, $10,000 more, like $2 million and $10,000. Uh, Paul Newman was like, oh, fuck it, give it to him. Um, <laughs> he was in Paul Newman's first movie. In fact, he's uncredited as a hood in uh, Somebody Up There Likes Me. Really? Yeah, so there was always that competition sort of, well, from McQueen's part, I guess, yeah, uh-huh. because McQueen was also a fucking asshole. I guess he was, yeah. I mean, he would pull a gun on his wife, and he would just do terrible, terrible things because mm-hmm. I think he was a tortured guy. Yeah. You know, and I, I probably, um, James Dean would have, you know, more would have been noted about him if he hadn't died so early. I heard a story that, like, on the night that uh, of the Tate murders, mm-hmm. the Charles Manson, the oh, Tate yeah, murders, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he got in his car like, with a gun and started driving around. Well, he, he had been on the list. Yeah, that's right. They he found was, the list, and yeah, Sinatra yeah, yeah. was on the list, and he was on the list. Mm-hmm. And there was some sort of thing, also some story that um, if not for the fact that he'd been cheating on his wife, he would have been killed. 
Really? So yeah. take that lesson well, how you God. want. People. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, something's go right. Okay. All right. So <laughs> so um, and then I then he does um, you know Bullet in, in '68, which is you know we'll talk about that at some point, but it's obviously a landmark film. But interesting to me is that he does Bullet in '68, and also in '68 he does the second film we're going to talk about, which is. The Thomas Crown Affair. Thomas Crown Affair. And it's Sorry. it's one of those interesting things because he, he'd slipped back into his ultra cool persona. And, and yeah. there may not be a cooler Steve McQueen movie than Bullet. You know, and it's like, you know, he goes around, he does Bullet. And, yeah. and, and legend is that like cops all over the country started wearing like turtlenecks and blazers after Bullet came out, you know, and it's sort of like. It's also the character. There's also the fact that he um, he took a lot. Well, and, 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 and the funny thing on that is that he there was a cop on the San Francisco Police Department mm-hmm. that he modeled himself after. You mean in terms of the the wardrobe? The wardrobe, the, mm-hmm. the 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 behavior, a lot of the behavior, mm-hmm. and also uh, carrying the uh, car- the um, the particular um, um, where he kept his gun. <laughs> that thing, God damn it! Cool as usual. This guy, <laughs> shut up. Your his gun holder Mc- eleven. His gun holding McThingy on the side there. <laughs> he was pointing desperately to what, what his, his would be armpit. armpit. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, what, the, he had the particular. He had the gun harness. Uh, and that became very popular after that because well, of bullets. Yeah. Well. So. So. But. But what's interesting is so. So he does the Sand Pebbles and it's thoughtful and he, he gets a, a nominated for an Academy Award. I think mm-hmm. Paul Schofield won it deservedly for um, A Man for All Seasons. Um, but. But so he's back in coolness, Coolville in 1968, and then he it goes. Ar- what should arguably be his coolest movie. Yeah, and I think possibly is. We could argue that out yeah. another time. But but so then he decides, like very, it, it's very a decisive moment for him that he wants to try to do something smart again. And so mm-hmm. he wants to be he did the Thomas Crown Affair, and the Thomas Crown Affair is it's a bank heist movie, which seems like the cool movie, but it's like um, it's not an intellectual bank heist movie, but it tries to be <laughs> intellectual yeah, it's ba- killing bank itself, heist movie, yeah. right? And so it's you know he's a he's a wealthy bank executive in Boston. Um, he's got lots. No, of I'm money. sorry. He's like a real estate executive or something. But he's very. He has he's tons extremely well. Yeah. He, he has like, like his own little like glider and yeah, he's like crazy Boston dune wealthy. buggies and all this crazy stuff. Martha's yeah. Vineyard. But but for the thrill of it, he wants to pull off um, a bank heist. Right. And and the premise of the film is that he he hires all these thugs. Um, to be in on the bank heist, but none of them know each other. It's it's sort of like early Tarantino's right. Mr. Pink, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Green. Exactly. Well, I think Tarantino's I th- probably taken off. I think off Tarantino of was probably ripping it off a little bit. Yeah. So it's got. So this they show up at a place to go. They show up a place. They don't know each other. Yeah. But they know they're assigned tasks, so they go in and they rob this place. And this, ba- this bank story to sort of show how how he recruited them. They don't even know his face. It's like he yeah. he recruits them behind a sort of like a um, interrogation light type thing, right? right? right. Including Jack Weston, who I love. Good old fat Jack Weston. Who is you know in great movies like uh, the Four Seasons with Alan Alda later on and so forth, but but he's got all, and it's it's an interesting sort of attempt at at an opening in that it's using something I've never seen this maybe before a since in a film where it's it's a sort of like um, twenty squares on the screen and mm-hmm. each square is showing a different aspect of what's happening in the bank robbery right right and yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. It, it it sort of tries to make a mosaic of the bank robbery by all these people who don't know who he is and who don't know each other. Right. They have like specific instructions for getting away with the money. It's pretty. It's a pretty cool effect. It's really cool. Now here's the problem, for me. It's trying hard to be cool. That's yeah. Well, kind of I mean, upset. he, my brother Dave and I always talk about the Steve McQueen laugh. He comes home after the robbery to his mansion, having heard <laughs> that the thing is home, and he does this like just as an example, this horrible like 
evil laugh like ah, 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 ah. and you're like oh no this is gonna be and it I is, forgot about that but you started talking about it and I was like oh yeah it is terrible. just kind of bad acting on his part it, it's almost like he put all his energy into the concept of the film and the he does not act well in it and it's you can't you have to have good acting paired with the good writing and the concept because right. the writing's solid yeah. the supporting players are solid and so the conflict really is this that the bank's insurance company is led by uh, an investigator played by uh, Faye Dunaway, yeah, a Faye Dunaway. striking Faye Dunaway. She's, 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 maybe, at her, she's at her Faye Dun- Dunaway ask best. Her Faye Dunaway, her Faye Dunaway. is, <laughs> yeah, it, it surpasses even Bonnie and Clyde like sexiness. It's really? crazy. Okay. And so it's like, yeah, she's going to investigate. She's also going to sort of flirt with him and get to know him. Um, and he knows that right. she's the investigator, and right. he knows that she knows that he did it, mm-hmm. and. She knows that he knows that she knows. Right. So they they cat and mouse back and they forth. Can't, can't she catch him? Like can't she not? Great sexual who's tension. Who's fucking who and there, who's getting fucked? There's a scene of, with a chess game that's if you know. It's yeah. It's right up there. Yeah. It's very. It's er, very erotic. Erectile non dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you. Even when you tape that queen to your penis, anyways. Or pawn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's got, I mean, it's got a, an interesting, interesting, I would say, soundtrack. Like windmills off okay, Right. Yeah, some weird sort of very... folk music that goes mm-hmm. along with it. It's, it's shot in an interesting way. Um, it's not, of course, believable that this relationship would happen, but you don't care no, that much that not. it's believable. He's just not a good actor in it. And for that reason, I'm not super fond of this as a Steve McQueen movie, but it definitely is. A decent Steve McQueen movie. Yeah, it's a decent movie. I guess, here's the thing. I forget how much I like this movie between yeah. viewings of it. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie that suggests itself to my brain to go find this movie and rewatch it. Right. But if somebody's got it, like, hey, let's watch this. This yeah. looks pretty cool. Let's do it. It's it's that quality of movie. It's got that It's got that factor. It's got Steve McQueen. You're correct. Not at his best acting, which mm-hmm. is kind of a goddamn shame. Yep. Uh, but it's got Faye Dunaway, and she makes up for that a little bit. Yeah. And overall... The concept is clever as fuck, yeah, and I like that about it. So, so I, I give it, a, I give it a thumbs up and a mm-hmm. recommendation. Um, but uh, there's there are other Steve McQueen movies I'd recommend before this. Okay, so he goes away. Um, he does that thing he does, you know, like in 1963 or 62, he joined like the um, All American Motocross team for a while as an honorary member. Right, right. Here in 1969, um, he actually does a film called Le Mans, but it's just a documentary about his. You know, racing. <laughs> you right. love to race cars. You love to all. You know, weirdly, or maybe not so weirdly, the only sort of daredevil thing he didn't do was with airplanes, which is what his dad did. Maybe right. not yours, dad. <laughs> Steve McQueen. That's my Steve McQueen. Um, and he does a couple of like forgettable films. He does a great film. We're going to talk about it another time called The Getaway. Mm-hmm. Um, not for here, but for later, certainly. And then in 1973, there's a kind of return to the idea of, if not intellectual, but like a, a higher quality film, right? And it's right. the idea he's co-stars in this film with Dustin Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And it's 1973's Papillon. Papillon. Based loosely on a, a real movie, story. A book called Papillon and a, and a real story, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's this guy who's... who's um, uh, uh, Charged with murder, and yeah. he's a pimp. Oh no, killing a pimp. He kills a pimp. No, he was a pimp who killed a pimp. Oh, he was. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he was himself. A sh- was a he pimp. was scum. <laughs> the, Steve McQueen plays him as being much more heroic than the guy actually was. The okay. guy was. A, the guy was a criminal, but he was okay. in, in Paris. So he, he's a pimp. He kills another pimp, 
Uh, he gets sent to Devil's Island. French Guiana. French Guiana off the coast of South America, mm-hmm. which is where basically French is major penal colony in the 19th century and early 20th century. Am I crazy, or is this the same, the setting for Passage to Marseille as well? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Okay, so, I mean, it's, it's you, have a, you have a sort of like... Yeah, um, or, and we're or, no angels, for that br- matter. Or Bridge in the River Kwai, which is not, I know, French Guiana, but the idea that... Um, there are no fences, no need for right. fences, right? You have right. the jungle that you'll never survive getting out of here, right? Right, right, right. So he's there with Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman's a famous, um, like, forger. forger and, yeah. You know, he's a Bernie Madoff type character mm-hmm. of his time. He's like a con man of some kind. And he's not only, he's this wimpy little character, oh, yeah. but he's also not going to survive because he's fucked so many families out of their fortunes <laughs> that, like, they're just waiting to kill him right, in right. French Guiana or even on the boat over. And so, you know, um, what's unrealistic about this is that Steve queen becomes his protector right and is not fucking him in the mouth and the ass he's just the that, that we see on screen that <laughs> just, we see on i'll screen. just protect you because you're among the weaker pretty sure he a was a good pimp yeah pretty sure pretty sure the fucking was happening when we went into looking so uh yeah so, i mean so it's, it's basically it's this it's a simple in concept movie yeah really uh the execution is where it gets really interesting and then the concept is hey we need to get the fuck out of this Basically, hell. It, it was a form of hell that, that some, yeah. some men got sent to. Yeah. Uh, Swamp and gangs and alligators and yeah, just oh god damn it, just, just nightmarish. Yeah. And so, uh, so it was uh, Papillon and his uh, Papillon's attempt to escape. That mm-hmm. ultimately, that's it. He's one of the few people I think who did escape, who successfully escaped for like the Twice. time. Right, and they show that in the movie. Mm-hmm. Right, where he gets away, unfortunately, he gets caught later on and then sent back because you need papers and things like that. A couple times, he was yeah, not he, an organizer. Yeah, he gets he gets sent in some horrible sort of like uh, isolation situations. But but yeah. I mean, it's just really yeah, it's a film about that. It's just about the layers. You know what's going to happen. You kind of mm-hmm. know how it's going to end. But it's he and the friendship that he has with Dustin Hoffman, um, just planning an escape. Um, dealing with the work, bribing the guards, getting along or not getting along with the bosses. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's, um, I like it. I think it's a well-made film. It's beautiful. It is long and it feels yep. a little long sometimes, long. but it's a hell of a movie. It yep. really is. And it's beautifully shot. Mm-hmm. I never thought, like, yeah, again, it's hell, but it's beautifully shot hell. It's really well done. Yeah, that's fair. And <laughs> th- surprisingly, this was a time period. Now, um, Hoffman, uh, one of the reasons he didn't get along with McQueen, or McQueen didn't get along with him, mm-hmm. well, they don't seem like natural buddies anyway, no. is that um, Hoffman tried to advise him <laughs> that um, you, you got to stop with a cocaine. Right. Like, I've been through this already in the late 60s, and it's just bad news. And um, you know, McQueen didn't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. And McQueen did what McQueen wanted to do at all times. He did what he wanted to do, which is always so sad about McQueen because... As I understand it, he was he died down in Juarez, Mexico, mm-hmm. um, searching for a cure for his cancer in 1980. Right, and uh, he'd been married. He, you know, he had that first marriage didn't work out for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. He marries um, Ali McGraw, <laughs> uh, who he met on the set of The Getaway. The Getaway. They didn't make it, and then he's married to this sort of like um, bimbo um, born again Christian. <laughs> the last part of his life and he became like a uh, devout like Bible reader in Mexico and like up. yeah it's such a bummer I mean look I'll do the same thing when I get cancer I'm sure but <laughs> but it's just like you know you want Steve McQueen to be riding a motorcycle off a cliff or something yeah of course yeah but alas hmm. it is the movies my friends he did that in his career with the movie Hunter but <laughs> the Hunter yeah I remember well that's a I mean whenever you talk about it anywhere else I haven't so. seen it in years I want to rewatch it just to see if it's as bad as I I remember seeing it in the theater and there was a there's a um, a blowjob in it. 
Like really? a woman's head bobbing down like a, mm. a buzzard on a on a worm. I think I was too young to appreciate that when I saw this. And I saw it mm. in the theater too, but I don't remember. I was... Get my own worm. Hmm. What's this? What? <laughs> the early bird is here. I'm role-playing again. Oh, stop it. All right. So Steve McQueen, I mean, we could go on and on. Steve McQueen's just one of those guys that... Um, He's iconic. He's iconic, and also, like, you know, he's not part of the 27 Club, like Hendrix, um, Jim Morrison, you know, like, right. stilled as a youngster. Mm-hmm. I think he was 50 years old when he died. Uh, yet, even with his stink olas, like The Hunter and, and some of the others, um, he never got a chance to become really bad. You're left with that impression of yeah, him. Yeah, him being much younger than he actually was. Yeah, sure. Well, no, not just younger. I just mean you're left with the impression of, like, his coolness. <clears throat> right. He didn't outlive his coolness. Yeah, that's uh, for sure. He did not. No. All right. Well, Tommy, um, well, I guess we should dog. mention a couple of things. One is that we'd love it if you, the listeners, would rate and review us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. Um, also that uh, we appreciate anyone who wants to become a Patreon subscriber at the $5 plus per month level. If you do that, you will have access um, to our twice monthly shows available to... No, go ahead. I'd like to. I just want to point out that we've, uh, as far as our Patreon people, we've like, what's that? Are you gonna Are you gonna give us numbers? That's we have a fifty percent. We have a fifty percent job. Why would you do that? Like, I saw you, and I'm like, he's not that stupid. Nope, he's that stupid. Oh please. Why would you do? That? Like, what's the point of that? Well, because I want to get people excited. Come yeah, on, that does it. Patreon that folks. always gets people excited about a show. <laughs> that always does it. Listen, people. No one listens and no one subscribes. I just want to let you know that. That should get you going. <laughs> oh, oh, stop you it. idiot! People do listen. <sighs> Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. I, I even just... thought about it today. I go, he's not going to do that. Don't even mention that he shouldn't do that. Oh, he's not that dumb. No, <sighs> I'm wrong. Okay. Um, so if you want to subscribe at the five dollars per month level, um, uh, you'll have access to Patreon only episodes. And I think that's it. Tom, you have something? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, please uh, join me at uh, tomsmithcomedy.com to uh, find out the further adventures of comedy in uh, the Fresno area. All right. Love you, Tommy. Love you, Jedo. Bye.